right, well, go ahead and turn to Romans 1. We're going to get through one verse today. <laughs> Just to give you a heads up. Now, maybe you guys, how many of you guys have heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome before? Does anyone know why that, that saying? I mean, there's a reason that what that means, kind of like it multi, there's multiple ways to do one thing and it ultimately will lead to the same outcome. But like, do you know where that saying came from? Like back at the time when this was being written, when Acts and Romans was being written, Rome was kind of the world power at the time. So a lot of literature and stuff was written, came out of there and from their perspective. And the Romans had built a bunch of the major roads over there in their empire that go through Europe and such. And all of those roads would eventually lead to Rome because that was kind of the Mecca, the capital of their empire. So that's where that saying kind of originated. But have you heard the saying before that the road to revival goes through the book of Romans? You guys heard that said before. And where that's come from is that God has used this book. I mean, he's used this whole word, but this book especially to profoundly affect so many lives, especially a lot of well-known pastors and theologians that we you know, read their commentaries, we read the things they've written and stuff. I'm gonna read you some of these uh, personal accounts. This one being of the Christian theologian Augustine. It says, in the summer of 386, a young man wept in the backyard of a friend and he knew his life of sin and rebellion against God left him empty and feeling dead. But he just couldn't find the strength to make a final real decision for Jesus Christ. And as he sat, he heard children playing a game and they called out to each other these words, take up and read, take up and read. And thinking God had a message to him in the words of the children, he picked up a scroll laying nearby and began to read. And it said, not in reveling, in drunkenness, not in debauchery, in licentiousness or sexual immorality, not in quarreling, and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, which is Romans 13, 13 through 14. He didn't read any further. He didn't have to. Through the power of God's word, Augustine gained the faith to give his whole life to Jesus Christ at that moment. Regarding the impact it had on theologian Martin Luther, it says in August 15, 13, a monk lectured on the book of Psalms to seminary students but his inner life was nothing but turmoil. In his studies, he came across Psalm 31.1, where it says, in thy righteousness delivers me. And this passage confused Luther. How could God's righteousness do anything but condemn him to hell as a righteous punishment for his sins? And Luther kept thinking about Romans 1.17, which says, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written he who through faith is righteous shall live. And Luther the monk went on to say, night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. And Martin Luther was born again and the Reformation began in his heart. Martin Luther went on to say about the book of Romans, it is the chief part of the New Testament and the perfect gospel, the absolute epitome of the gospel. 
regarding the impact it had on pastor and evangelist John Wesley. It says, in May of 1738, a failed minister and missionary reluctantly went to a small Bible study where someone read aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. As Wesley, the failed missionary, said later, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine. John Wesley was saved that night in London. And it was while Chuck Smith was teaching through the book of Romans in a four-square church that he realized he needed to throw off the yoke of religion. And his life was changed forever as he went on to pastor the little 25-member church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California that turned into a Calvary network of churches all over the world today with thousands and thousands of believers. So to say the least, God has used the book of Romans to have a major effect in the lives of some of the people that he's used to go on and have a profound effect for his kingdom in this world. And one of those people was the Apostle Paul, who was a religious, arrogant, angry, murderous Pharisee named Saul when we're first introduced to him prior to believing the gospel. But after believing the good news of Jesus Christ was dramatically changed for the better, and we're gonna see the proof of that in the first sentence, the first verse of Romans 1 today. This book being the longest of Paul's epistles or letters to the churches, it widely believed by scholars that Paul wrote this letter during his third missionary journey while in Corinth, as we saw when we went through Acts 20. Commentators believing it could have been written anywhere between AD 53 to 58 before Paul had actually gotten a chance to go to Rome as we just saw in Acts 28. So this letter is different than his other epistles and that those letters were written to churches that he had gone and visited or he had been a part of planting in some way or another. But Paul, wanting to go to Rome and unable at the time to go, instead did what he could and wrote what Christians call the Fort Knox of Bible doctrine, making sure of all things, these Christians that he hadn't visited knew one thing for sure, and that is what the gospel is. This being a book that quite a few pastors or theologians have said that if there was only one book in the Bible that they could have the privilege of teaching somebody, it would be this book because this book has everything you need to know presented logically and systematically and eloquently to understand why you need to be saved by God and how you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Theologian John Calvin said of this book of Romans, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. The theme of Romans, if you want to know a theme of the rest of the, the whole book, is given in Romans 1, 16 through 17, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And an outline for this book, if you're an outline taker, Romans chapter one through four, 
Paul talks and explains to us what the gospel is. Romans 5 through 8, he tells us what believing the gospel will result in in your life or for you. Romans 9 through 11, he tells us God's plan for the Jewish people or the nation of Israel regarding the gospel. And then Romans 12 through 16, he explains how the gospel should affect the way you live your life daily. All right? And we'll go through all of those eventually, but today we're just going to be in verse 1. So let me read it, and I'm praying, and then we'll start going through what I want to talk about today. So verse 1, it says, Paul, this is his greeting to the people he's writing to. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Lord, I just read that. And having gone through Acts and, and knowing what we know about Paul before he was saved, these were things that he would never be able to say. And it was through that radical transformation on that road to Damascus and everything you did in him and that you revealed to him after that, that he's gotten to this point where he's at in his life and he can say these things because you're the one that has changed him to be who he is at this point in his life. And before we get into any of the theology of the gospel, it is good for us to remember why it's so important for us to believe it, and that is because it changes us for the better in a way that we can never change ourselves. And we see that in Paul. We see that in each other. We see that in ourselves. And for those of us that have been changed, may we be encouraged in the fact of what you've done in us and that you're still doing work in us that will be completed one day and for anyone here today that is looking to be transformed and change, may they see that that can start today through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so as I said, verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's all we're gonna focus on today because again, as I was just praying, before we ever get into the what or the theology of the gospel, which we're gonna go through. And this book explains so well. It is important to understand the why. Why, why is the gospel important? Because as Paul says in Romans 1.16, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's, 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 it's what we need to understand and listen and hear and believe to be saved so that God can come into our lives and change us. Because we all need to be changed. To some degree, we sense this before Jesus is ever a part of our life. We understand that we're helpless. We make bad decisions. We can't be the moms that we're trying to be. We can't be the dads we're trying to be. We can't be the husbands. We, we feel helpless in life. We feel discontent. We feel dissatisfied no matter what we try, what we do. And this all comes back to the fact that you were made by God and you were made to know God because he loves you. And he made a way for you to do that in a, in a way that you could never do yourself. And that was through his son, Jesus. So we need to understand that why. And the way Paul identifies himself in this letter to the Romans of verse one tells us about these amazing changes that God has done in his life just by the way he describes himself, all right? So I'm gonna give you five ways that Paul's life was changed through his faith in the gospel 
through coming to have a saving relationship with, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, five ways that his life was changed that we see in the way he describes himself here in this first verse. And the first thing that God did in his life was that he humbled Paul. All right, he humbled Paul. The Apostle Paul is originally introduced to us as Saul in the book of Acts and referred to by that name up until Acts 13.9. And at that point, it says, but Saul, who was also called Paul. And after Acts 13, he goes by Paul, as we see him identify himself here in Romans. And now the custom of having dual names wasn't that odd back then. Saul would be his Jewish name because he was of Jewish descent. And that is what the name he would use when he's hanging around other Jewish people. Paul was a Roman name, a Gentile name, because he also had Roman citizenship. So his family, to some degree, had affairs with the Gentiles, and he would go by that name Paul with them. But to understand the significance of him wanting to go by one name over the other, you have to understand the meanings of these names because the meaning of Saul spoke of importance. It literally meant requested one or somebody that was in demand by other people, somebody that was looked up to. People wanted to be with them. They wanted to hear what they had to say. That was this idea of an importance. That's what Saul carried. But Paul, on the other hand, meant little or small. Or the idea is it, it carried this idea of, of insignificance. So it would appear at some point after Jesus saved him, this once prideful and self-centered Pharisee named Saul did not consider himself as great as he once did. And in light of what God had done in his life, what God had revealed to him through his faith in Jesus Christ, he was humbled and wanted to be known by his Roman name of Paul, as we see there in verse one, that carry this idea of I'm not that important. The one who in me is the one that you should be looking at. And that type of drastic change in character cannot happen apart from God. Here's the thing. To some degree, every one of us is born selfish and self-centered. And you moms and dads know this, if you're being honest. Judging by the reaction of that precious little baby that is so cute and snuggly until they don't get their way. And they violently react with a fit of rage. And it's because of this selfish nature that we all are born with, the self-centeredness where we tend to focus on ourselves. But God tells us in his word that in his kingdom, we're not to focus on ourselves. We're to be others-centered, which Jesus is the one that gives us the ultimate example of that. Because if anyone was others-centered, it was the son of God who was equal with God, but lowered himself in humility to live as a man and die a death on a cross that he didn't deserve because he didn't do anything wrong, but he did because of his love for you and needing to take upon your sins upon himself so that price, the just price could be paid for them and you could be forgiven. That is humility. That is other-centered. He did that for you. It wasn't for his benefit. It was for our benefit. So that's the example. And in order to follow Jesus' example, we must be humble as he is, to be other-centered, to want to serve others. The definition of humility or humble is a modest or low view of one's own importance. Now, see, we first, when we believe in God, 
we have to humble ourselves first and foremost to him because it takes humility, a degree of humility to understand that you're not all right the way you are, that you're not perfect, that you are a sinner and you need to be forgiven of sin that you can never do enough right to make up for and you need God's help to do that. So it takes a little speck of humility to do that and believing the good news about Jesus. But then through that faith, God comes into your life and through knowing him personally and understanding how awesome God is, the only right response is to even grow more humble. And what I mean by that is the more you know how awesome God is, the more you see that his plans actually are so much better than yours, the more you see how faithful he is, how good he is to you, all of a sudden you aren't the most important person in this world. God is. And that is constantly growing in you the more you know God. The more you get to know God, the more you understand him through his word, the more you see him do the things in his word in your life, you take this attitude of John in John 3.30 where you're like, I must decrease so he can increase. You understand that what you want, your desires, your, th- those are less important. God is the most important. I only care about what God wants. I only care about what God says. And this is a constant thing that God's teaching us, which allows us to serve and represent God correctly in our lives and experience all of the good things he wants for us, that humility that he produces in us. That's why it's so important for us to gain it. And through that humility, it leads to the second thing I'm gonna point out because what it does is it makes us more appealing to others so that we have open doors to tell them about Jesus. And that leads to the second change in Paul's life. First, God made him humble. And then God made him accessible because of that humility. So he made him humble, then he made him accessible. Now, practically, him choosing to use that Roman name of Paul that meant insignificant would open up a lot of doors as he was traveling on his missionary journeys through the Roman Empire to preach to Gentiles, all right? Practically, that made him more accessible by choosing that. But also, his humble character made Paul an easy guy for others to talk to which he wasn't when he was a Pharisee, when he was angry, when he was prideful, when he was boastful, when he was arrogant, when he was murderous. He wasn't an easy guy. He wasn't an accessible guy to talk to. But through his humility, God was able to make him accessible, approachable. Because here's the thing, if we're prideful, how many of you guys have experienced dealing with people that are arrogant and prideful? And to some degree, we could probably look at each other and like we, we all mess up in this way, right? But is it, is it nice to talk to somebody that's like that? Is it a pleasant experience? It isn't, right? When somebody's self-centered, the idea is that like what you normally experience is you get this, this, this feeling that they only care about themselves. And if they only care about themselves, then that doesn't make it very easy to want to talk to them about anything, right? So when God teaches us humility, he teaches us the opposite, right? We're putting others above ourselves, just as Jesus did. And that allows us to show a different type of love towards people, an other-centered love that God has for us, 
with the help of his Holy Spirit that we're not able to show otherwise unless he changes that in us, all right? The love that we're called to show is the love in 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven, that says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never, love never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. You can't show that type of love unless you care about other people and that comes through humility. And that makes you accessible because when other people see you demonstrate that type of love, that's different than the love that this world would call love. A love that's kind of based on if you're good to me, then I'll love you. And if you're not good to me, then I'm not going to love you anymore. This is an unconditional, a sacrificial love, the type of love Jesus has demonstrated for us. And Jesus says, when people see that type of love in you, it says, your love for one another, in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples or it will open up opportunities for you to tell them why you have that type of love, which is ultimately, it's the love that's been shown to you through Jesus, right? And you get to tell them that. Because Jesus gave us that ultimate demonstration of humility on the cross that more than proved his love for us and that made a relationship with God accessible for all. And when we demonstrate that same type of humility towards others and they see that you genuinely care about them, it'll make them want to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. You will be accessible, just as Paul was. Amen? So God made him humble. He made him accessible. The third change that God did in Paul that I want you to know today is that he made him a servant. He made Paul a servant. So the Pharisees lived to serve themselves, all right? If you guys know the Bible, you can look at this historically too, but of all the things we see about the Pharisees when, through the Gospels, when Jesus is dealing with them or through the epistles, basically they were very self-centered. They were about man's praise. And so even when they were doing the things the law said, like these good works or whatnot, it was always though so people thought highly of them. Or they took advantage of people because they wanted worldly wealth too. So it was always with self-interest. It was always with their personal gain in mind, all right? And um, Saul was no different. Before Jesus came into his life, he was a Pharisee of a Pharisee, as the word says. He was just like the rest of them, okay? But Paul had been dramatically changed through the believing the good news of Jesus, living to serve others now, as Acts 20, 35 was. He was at a place of living to serve himself, but through faith in Jesus, God had changed him to where his, his heart was, I'm just living to serve others. That's my goal in life. The Greek word used for servant in verse one, where he says he's a servant of Christ Jesus, is doulos, which means bond slave or bond servant. And according to Exodus 21.2, in Israel under the law, a slave was allowed to serve a maximum of six years, and then be set free. But if at the end of six years, the slave didn't want to go, and you might say, well, why wouldn't they want to go? Because they experienced the love of their master. They experienced how good it was to be in their master's house as a part of their family. And they remember what it was like to be in the world. And they have this choice to stay or go back to where they came from and they make this choice of, no, I wanna stay right here. 
I don't want to go. I don't want to go back to my old life. And in much the same way, Paul knew what it was like to live apart from God as Saul, spending a great deal of his life thinking that he was living zealously for God, only to find out that he'd been, in fact, rebelling against God. And all the things he was trying to find in that old life, that peace, that hope, that fulfillment, that contentment, that joy, he wouldn't found anywhere else in the world that relationship he was trying to have with God through his works that he wasn't having with God. Everything he was looking for, that purpose we talked about last week, he had found it in the Lord. And so he didn't want to go back. He was a willing servant. That, that's how he describes himself. Man, I want to be here as a servant of Christ Jesus. As Romans 12, 1 says, he wisely committed himself to serve as a living sacrifice. I give myself to you, God, as a sacrifice willingly because I've seen how good it is, just as we were singing that song, to be in your house, to be a part of your family, and I don't want to go back, all right? That's the idea of that, that term of servant, all right? And it's key that Paul identifies himself in verse one as a servant of Christ Jesus. I want you to note that of because his identity was found in who he served rather than trying to find his identity in what he was doing or the people he was serving. Okay, because if our focus is on serving Jesus, we're gonna save ourselves a lot of disappointment or save ourselves from a lot of disappointment that comes with trying to find your identity in what you're doing. Because see, we can do that. We can try to find our identity in what we accomplish and what we do, but here's the problem with that is our expectations are often unrealistic and things don't work out the way we want. And if our identity is in ways, something turning out a certain way, then we're gonna end up being disappointed. If our focus is on serving the Lord instead of serving other people or how people react to our service to them, it's gonna save us a lot of discouragement too because as you've probably experienced, not everyone is going to give you a pat on the back for the stuff you do for them. They're not gonna acknowledge it. Maybe even sometimes be critical of it when you're just trying to help them. And that can lead to discouragement, right? But serving the Lord isn't about self-fulfillment or accomplishing our goals and desires. Serving the Lord isn't about self-glorification or getting praises from people. Those things inevitably will set you up for disappointment because things don't always work out the way you want and you're not always gonna get the praise from people that you might be looking for. But serving the Lord is about serving others just as Jesus came to serve us, as Matthew 20, 28 says, which is for their benefit, not for ours, because God has said so. And God doesn't give us expectations or results to fall short of or be disappointed in even though people may try to put that on you, but God doesn't, all right? All God says is to obey or do what he tells you to do and be faithful to use what he has given you to serve him in life. And if you do those two things, as the servant heard in Matthew 25, 23, he said, he'll tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Just being obedient and faithful. And you can be confident that he's pleased with you. Now, I want you to listen to me on this, okay? You can be confident that he is pleased with you in your service to him, not 
based off of whether people are pleased or not, not based off of what you actually are doing or your accomplishments, because those are all dependent on something. So if things go good, then you're gonna think he's pleased with you. And if they don't go good, you're gonna be thinking he's not pleased with you. Or if somebody acknowledges your service, you're gonna think he's pleased with you. Or if they don't, then you're, no. It's not dependent on any of that. And we're gonna learn this as we go through this chapter, but the righteousness you have before God, the right standing, God sees you is right. And he is pleased with you is based on your faith in his son. And it doesn't ever change. So God is the only person that you can always know is pleased with you. And what we're, le- what we're spending this life learning is that that's all that really matters. Because we focus a lot on what other people think of us. And God's trying to remove that yoke, that burden on your shoulders and saying, you don't have to worry about that. Because all that matters in the scope of eternity which is all that really matters at all, is that I'm pleased with you. My son Solomon was running at his district meet yesterday and we were in Scapoos in that glorious 90 degree weather. Glorious for me, I wasn't running. So, but man, he, I was so proud of him because you know he's running, he ran around 2.30, so right at the peak of the day, it was like 89 degrees and he had been out in the sun all day because they had to get there early, you know? And so just, I just, our precious coast kids over here aren't used to that kind of heat. So he's in there and, and like I told him to stay hydrated and everything, but still that's just gotta be draining. And he runs the fastest 800 he's run the whole year. Like knocks almost seven seconds off his PR. He takes third. And it, it, I mean, he gave it his all. It took him a couple hours to recover. Like he pushed himself so hard. And I was so proud of him because he, just gave his best. And that's all I would ever ask. Just do your best, man. Just be faithful. Give it your all. I don't care if you came in third or first or whatever. There's no failing in your father's eyes. And to an even greater degree, God has taken the ability for you to fail away in his eyes. And that's why it's so important to understand you're a servant of God. All right? That's why Paul says in Acts 20, 35, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive because I can be happy in knowing that God is pleased with me through my service to him. All I need to do is just listen, give my best, be faithful, rely on him. I mean, I'm the one that's weak, right? We're gonna talk about that in a second, dude. I need his strength. It's all him doing it anyways. But I can have so much security in that identity I was talking to a brother earlier this week. Um, him and his wife blessed our, our speakers that were here for the women's conference last week by opening up their guest house to them. And, he, and I was just like, wow, they were really blessed by you guys. They said you guys were really awesome hosts and like, they were really like, blessed by you you're serving them. And they were telling me, like, man, we were blessed. And just I, he, was, he was like thinking, like, man, the Lord, we were just so blessed to understand the Lord gave us this and we can use it for him. We can use it, it's like he actually quoted that verse. He's like, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Just to be able to use what the Lord has given you and be faithful with it. That's what we all experience. That's why God tells us this. It, it's not always blessed to serve. It is always, you will always be blessed in being a servant of Jesus Christ. 
Amen? And here's the thing too, you have to understand that nobody can ever change that. You are a servant of Jesus Christ, just like Paul, whether you're doing everything that he's telling you to do and you're getting it right away or you're still learning it or you know whether people are acknowledging it or they're not acknowledging it or they're not, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. If you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna tell you right now, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. You're not failing. God is pleased with you and there's security in that. And that is more than anything else what God is trying to teach us our whole entire life because if our identity is in that truth, it'll be a secure identity that you'll be confident in. But we tend to try to find it in other things. And God's constantly trying to remind us, no, no, you're my servant. You're my servant. Yes, I'm teaching you how to serve. I'm teaching you. I'm giving you things to be faithful with. I'm teaching you to be obedient. But you are my servant. Nothing can change that because you're mine. And I'm pleased with you. Amen? Paul found that. And he didn't want to let go of that. He spent his whole life serving through works and being disappointed, it not getting him what he was looking for it to give him, that contentment, that, that, that purpose. And he found everything he was looking for in Christ. He's like, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a willing. I don't want to ever leave this place. I love my master because he loves me and I'm happy here. Amen? All right. Now, part of our identity that Jesus has given us involves the significant purpose he has for our lives. And that leads to the fourth change God did in Paul's life. And that is that he gave Paul a calling. As he was called to be an apostle, as verse one says, the word apostle means one who is sent out. This being different, there being three different groups of apostles referenced in the New Testament. Hebrews 3, one through two says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful to all God's house. So Jesus is the one apostle appointed by God who was sent out to live a sinless life as a man on this earth and die on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the just price of sin, the sins of mankind so we could be forgiven of them and reconciled to God Jesus actually being the living word of God, as John, word, or John 1 tells us. Amen? Now, there are 12, the 12 apostles appointed by Jesus in Matthew 10, 2 through 4, to be with him and to be his witnesses of the gospel through recording his inspired word, which we have today as the New Testament. And they're sent, they were sent out to share that with others. Paul also falling into that category as he was also personally appointed to be an apostle by Jesus according to Galatians 1.1. And then the third class is there's these people like Barnabas who Acts 14.14 14 calls an apostle who are appointed by the Holy Spirit and sent out to preach the gospel. And when you hear people talk about modern day apostles using that term, that's more or less who they're describing, people that have been sent out to preach the good news of God's word to people like missionaries and stuff, all right? Now, there are all types of different callings within God's church, a calling being the specific things God has like told you to do for him in your life and he's gifted you to do for him. And that's a whole gamut of things. It's not just one calling, you have several of them. And what the word tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about the body of Christ and how everyone has unique roles and everyone is important and no one's dispensable, 
You all have significant callings, okay? That's why not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. If you're not in fellowship in a church body, that church is hurting as well as you are. We all need each other. We're all significant in God's family, all right? And all of us, to some degree, are looking for significance and purpose in our lives, which we often try to find in the things that we do, or we try to create our own callings, which often end up leaving us discontent because those are not always part of God's plan for us. Saul had found this out in trying to be a Pharisee. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 5 through 9. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. That's something you were to do under the laws in Israelite. I'm a pure-blooded, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel or a Jew and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which was considered a really good tribe, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. I was such a Pharisee that I even killed Christians. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Didn't mean he was without sin, but he's like, as good as a person could follow the law, that was me. I once thought these things were valuable, or the idea is I once thought these things had purpose in life, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yet everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. See, Paul had come to understand that everything else in his life, prior to knowing Jesus, that he had tried to find purpose in it, it's meaningless. Without Christ, it has no meaning. It's not worth my time. It's trash. It's garbage. I was led astray, and I found everything I'm looking for in Jesus Christ. And one thing that's very important to note in verse 1 is that Paul identified himself as a servant of Jesus Christ first and foremost and separated that from his calling. Okay, he distinguished those two things. He didn't mix them together because we can be prone to getting those two things mixed up and try to find our identity in our calling instead of being a servant of Jesus Christ, which often will lead to discouragement and disappointment in our lives. Let me use an example today because we're celebrating mothers, all right? And I know from firsthand experience with my own wife, who, by the way, is the most excellent mother that my boys and I are so very thankful for, but her mistaking motherhood for her identity at times in her life, rather than the calling, one of the many callings that the Lord has given her, has led to disencouragement and disappointment. How many of you moms have experienced that parroting is harder than you anticipated? or different than you thought it would be. Maybe not turning out as you had hoped. How many of you have felt at times that you're not doing the job that you wish you were doing as a mother or that you wish you could be doing or that your insufficient efforts are somehow gonna damage your kids for all eternity, (laughs) right? Now, all these thoughts I've seen my wife and other mothers struggle with, really, and for that matter, dads too, if we're being honest, both parents, And if our identity is in being a father or mother or that is what defines whether we're doing good in life, living for the Lord or not, 
When things aren't going the way we would like or when things fall short of meeting our expectations, which, mind you, are often unrealistic because we're on Instagram or Facebook or we're looking at other people and all we see is what they show up on Sunday or we don't see what's going on behind the scenes or we're basing it off things that aren't real and it gives us an inaccurate representation of what really goes on and we inevitably have discouragement. We have disappointment in ourselves, all right? But if we understand that being a mother or father is a calling from the Lord, not our identity. Remember, our identity we're secure in because you're a servant of Jesus Christ, no matter how you're doing. There is no failure. In fact, what he says is that What's impossible for you is, impossible, is possible for him. So there, there is no failure, okay? But if you look at it as a calling, you, you recognize right away, first, that you are, in fact, insufficient to be a good mom or dad apart from God. It's, it's basically, you can't do anything without Jesus' help. And it says in John 15, 5, Jesus tells us, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Using this analogy of a vine and branches connected to it, basically to show you that if you're not connected to Jesus, you're not gonna be able to do anything in life the way God intends. And so right off the bat, we're honest with ourselves. We are, in our own power, we are gonna fail raising our kids. That's a given. We're humble. We've been humbled. We admit that, all right? We see it. Now, but secondly, we also embrace the fact that our insufficiency, including our mistakes, are not too big for God to overcome. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, right? That's our hope. We are insufficient, but God is more than sufficient and actually uses your weakness to do amazing things. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10. He says, I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Paul thought to have some sort of affirmity that he was praying for God to take away but God said, no, this is better for you to have this to keep you humble. He goes on to say, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, our humility in recognizing we are in no way able to fulfill our calling as parents apart from God or without his help or in whatever we're doing in life is what will drive us to rely on God instead of our own strength and that will allow God to overcome any deficiencies in our efforts and help us raise our kids well or do anything else. It's really God doing it through you. And again, that's not your identity. Your identity is a servant of Jesus Christ. And that is consistent because you've received that through your faith in Jesus. That is your, that's your security. Your calling is a mom or a dad or a pastor or to work at Costco or to pump gas faithfully, whatever it is. You got tons of them. 
But those things are things that we do with the help of God and he works through our insufficiency to do great things through, amen? Don't let that ever become your identity. But as such, we need to look to God to help us understand what our calling are and, are and rely on him to empower us to carry them out in our lives. And it's especially important to understand that if you, if you want to be, if you want to be like the dad or the mom that he's calling you to be in your life, the more you know you need his help, the more humble you are, which this whole thing started with, the better able you're gonna be able to do that and take your assurance in the fact that it's him doing it and not us, amen? All right, so the last thing, the fifth and final change that God did in Paul's life that we see in verse one was that Paul was separated or set apart for the gospel of God as verse one says. The gospel or good news being a message given to Paul by Jesus that Paul was set apart for to be a messenger of for God himself so others could know him as well. Saul thought he could separate himself to God by earning his way to them by his works in religion only to find out that the very works he was doing were actually against God. And this is where we go wrong before we're saved because a lot of the times people, you might look at somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus and go like, okay, that's, a good person. They're doing good things. They're, you know, doing things for the community. They're serving and, and stuff. And to some degree, their intentions might be well, but here's why we do that often is because we realize we've done bad things as well, and we're trying to make up for those bad things we've done by doing good things. But here's the problem with that. Isn't that selfish? That's self-serving. The heart behind it isn't pure. It isn't sacrificial. It isn't right. You're basically trying to do good things for the wrong reasons. And that's why we have to have God in us first to give us that right heart. We're not trying to get anything out of the things we're doing. We're just doing it as unto the Lord as he's done for us. Amen? But through faith in Jesus, Paul was not like that anymore. Paul's sin had been forgiven. He now understood that even though he was still in the world, he was not of it any longer as God had personally saved and separated from it as a follower of Jesus Christ. And now he was a citizen of heaven, as he says in Philippians 3.20, or a resident of God's kingdom. And that changed his purpose in life. He wasn't about living for the things of this world or trying to earn his way to God. He was about living of the things of God. As, he, as it says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be also. Everything Paul was looking for and trying to do himself as Saul in separating himself to God that ended up fruitless, that weren't getting him that relationship he was looking for, he found through his faith in Jesus. And his faith in Jesus changed him in such a way that he actually lived a separated life. He understood that, oh, I'm a part of God's kingdom now. So it's not about me. It's not about people liking me or, or pleasing people or, or you know, what people think about me, getting you know, proclamation or, or you know, praise from people around me or trying to get do things for my own benefit. It's not about any of that anymore. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and I've been called to be an apostle. That's all I wanna do, be obedient and faithful. 
because it's so sweet and good to be in my master's house. I don't wanna be anywhere else, and this is where I'm gonna experience him. I'm gonna experience Jesus here. So just like we saw in the book of Acts, the purpose in his life was to follow Jesus. Everything he did, everything he said, that's all he was doing. Trying to pursue Jesus, stay close to Jesus, know Jesus, like he says back there in Philippians 3, I just wanna know him. Everything else is garbage. Everything else that I thought I was finding purpose in, it's all trash. I just want to know Jesus, even if it means suffering for him, because that's where I'm really experiencing. I'm seeing him comfort me and get me through it. And if that's what it takes to know him, I just want to be where Jesus is. Amen? Amen. And as I said at the beginning, the reason I wanted to spend this entire first study on Romans looking at these attributes of Paul is because this is what a life that has been transformed by the gospel looks like. Amen? And as I prayed earlier, every single one of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, you were a Saul to some degree, but now you're a Paul. You have your own testimony. And if you look back, and I, and I, I get it. We're all works in progress. We have things that we're struggling with that like God's given us victory and we're learning to walk in that victory. And we all have things that need to be changed. And that's gonna be a process until we're with him again. But if you look back at where you were, I'm confident you can see miraculous changes just like in Paul's life and you should have a heart of thanks, a heart of praise to see what God has saved you from. Amen? And as followers of Jesus, we should always be looking to the Lord to continue to change us, amen? We should be looking at these attributes of Paul, that he's humble. Go like, Lord, am I humble? I heard this pastor say this once and it always sticks with me. He says, if you ever respond to somebody and you feel the need to defend yourself, you're not being humble. We get lots of opportunities, don't we, in life to do that. Like somebody says something to you and you're automatically, it's like, I gotta defend myself, that's wrong, or they don't know my heart, but that's not being humble. I just gotta be shut, I gotta shut up is what I gotta do. <laughs> Pray about it. Think about how I'm gonna respond. I wanna respond the right way. I wanna hear what they're saying. Sometimes we hear things wrong too because we're defenseful. And then when you give a chance to person to explain it, you're like, oh, I thought you were saying something else. That makes sense. Slow to speak. Are you accessible? That's a good way to tell if you're humble. The people are afraid to talk to you. They're afraid to come up to you. Maybe they don't think you care. These are things that, again, we go to God. Lord, I wanna be humble. I wanna be humble like you. I wanna look to the example of Jesus. Help me with this. Is your identity in being a servant of Christ Jesus? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that my heart? I'm, I'm here to serve others. I'm not here to get anything out of it. My rewards are in heaven waiting for me. That's all I really care about. <laughs> anything on this earth, moth and rust is gonna destroy it. Not worth living for. If I'm feeling discontent, if I'm feeling dissatisfied, maybe my identity's in something else. Gotta be aware of that. What's my calling? Am I operating in my calling? I'm a dad, I'm a mom. Is that my priority? Only second to Jesus, because that's my ministry first and foremost. And then what's beyond that? Am I operating in my calling at my job that God's, God's given me? Am I operating in my calling at the, at the church, the thing he's called me to do? Because that's where I'm gonna be most satisfied, because God's built me for that. That's where he wants me. He knows where I'm gonna thrive, where I'm gonna experience him. So I don't wanna be anywhere else. I wanna do what he wants me to be doing. Humility, accessibility, being a servant of Christ Jesus, calling, 
set apart. Do you realize you're set apart? Are you living like you're set apart? You know what God says in his word? He says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Are you living in the world but realize you're not of it anymore? Because you can't serve both. One will distract from the other. So if you're a believer and you're still trying to live for this world, it's gonna inevitably distract you from God and what he has for you. And I'm convinced as we see this world get worse and worse, which the Bible tells us will happen closer we get to Jesus' return, that's an act of God's grace to help you understand it ain't worth living for. As I try to remind people often, you ain't saving the ship, it's sinking. You're trying to save the people off the ship, all right? Our hope isn't in this world, it's in the next one to come when Jesus comes back, amen? We're just here occupying the territory until he comes, taking as many people with us. Now, as the worship team comes up, we're gonna have a response time and it's gonna have a whole lot of different things. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you guys? This is our chance to respond and look at our own lives. And, and first of all, have a heart of praise. We're gonna do communion because we remember, we take that bread and remember Jesus' body that was broken for us on that cross and we take that juice and remember his blood that, that atoned, played the, the price in full for our sins and we give worth to it. We need to remember that and, and be thankful because that has what has led to the change in our life and will continue to lead in the changes in our life, all right? So we do that first and foremost and we praise God just as we're in the beginning for what God's done and what he's gonna do. But then there's this opportunity to like, what, what do you wanna do, Lord? What, there's some of those things that, you know, I see in Paul that I don't see in myself and I know I should. So Lord, how do you wanna, you know, like Romans 12, he says, we're not to be conformed to this world, we're to allow him to renew our minds. Lord, I want you to renew my mind. You've, you've killed that old self and given me this new life. I wanna live in it. Teach me your ways. I often say that this right here is the most important part of the sermon in that you can hear the word and put it in your mind and underline it in your Bible and remember it, but that doesn't translate to you living it in your life. God saved you to change you. He accepted you as you were, but he loves you too much to leave you that way but we can fight him on that. Or we can just allow him to have his way in our life and change us and leave here different than when we came in. And that's the goal, amen? So respond as the Holy Spirit leads you here. And we'll have people around the room to pray for you. And one thing that I would encourage is if you're somebody here today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have yet to even start this transformation because you can't change yourself. You don't even know what's good or bad for you because you don't have access to the one that created you that has a good, pleasing, and perfect plan and is dying, literally died, but rose again and is alive today to tell you what that plan is and lead you in it and help you achieve it because you could never do it yourself. But you gotta understand that you're separated from him by your sin because he's perfect and just and as a just judge, he has to deal with your sin and he has dealt with it on the cross, but you have to receive that free gift of forgiveness. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner and you need to be saved and it's through Jesus' sacrifice that you can be saved and you invite God into your life 
as a result of that salvation and you submit to him as your Lord, understanding that Lord, like I don't wanna live my life anymore. I see that's not working. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And you can do that here today too and instantly be transformed as you leave this place because you came as a Saul, but you'll leave as a Paul. You'll leave as a child of God. You'll leave with a relationship with your creator. You'll leave as a part of eternity with death not being a problem for you anymore because it doesn't exist for the believer, amen? That can be you today too. And today is the day of salvation for you. You should make that choice. You shouldn't wait another day because you don't know what tomorrow holds and you only get the chance to make that choice where you're here on this earth. Not trying to scare you, but that's the reality. And as Paul would say, you will never live a day to regret making that choice because it'll be the best and most important decision you've ever made in your life. Amen? Sorry it took so long. There's a, this is gonna be a long book. <laughs> Lots of good stuff. All that to say is, we're gonna respond now. We're gonna worship. You're gonna take communion on your own and come up and get prayer if you need prayer. If you need to be led to the Lord, we can lead you in a prayer. But do business with God right now. I always lean you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for the example of Paul. Even more so, Lord, we just thank you for the personal work you've done in our lives. We give you praise for that, first and foremost, because you have saved wretches, wretched sinners like us Think of either what John Wesley said, a sinner like me, even my sin, that's what I think of, even my sin, as great as it was, it's forgiven and I've been made right with you and I've experienced you, I've seen the change in my life, I've seen your goodness, I've seen your faithfulness and I have nothing but praise, Lord. And just like Paul, I, I, I'm, I'm a bond servant. I don't want any part of that old life without you. I just wanna know you even more. I want everything you have for me. I want to decrease till I'm nothing and you are everything, Lord. And I know my brothers and sisters are in that same place. And sometimes, Lord, we don't even know what needs to decrease. Even now, I just, I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit's inside of us to help teach us your word, help us understand those things in our lives that aren't right. And may we just respond as you speak to us individually right now. And just look to you to continue that process of changing us for the better. In Jesus' name, amen.